Jürgen uh, was one of the sort of <laughs> I don't want to sound disparaging about you, uh, not about you, but um, when Perez de Quer was asked how many people worked at the United Nations, he said, oh, about half. <laughs> well, Jürgen was one of the half. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, not only that, he was one of the half that had a mind of their own and was not afraid to say while he was serving with the United Nations uh, what, um, what, what was right and what was wrong and about the United Nations behavior and response to superpower pressures. So we have a sort of, since he's now left and is with the, um, it's the NYU unit, isn't it? City College um, Study Center on the UN. Uh, he has a sort of insider-outsider perspective, which is very refreshing from uh, the usual close-mouthed bureaucracy. So we'll begin with Philip, and we hope to have plenty of time for discussion about a subject that the left in America ignores almost as much as the right, since uh, I'm afraid that isolationism is a sort of bipartisan trait in this country, more often than not. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks very much. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to start by making some critical remarks about the, the multilateral institutional system and then come to what I think are some more positive uh, uh, statements, both about the UN the UN itself, but, but also about the prospects for international cooperation uh, and social justice in the future. Uh, as you all know, uh, no doubt, the multilateral institutional system that, that we have lived with or under over the past uh, 50 years which was constructed in, after 19, 1944, was neither fair nor democratic in any really meaningful sense of those words. It was neither fair nor democratic in the UN itself because the UN was built on a dual jurisdiction. First of all, a democratic and egalitarian jurisdiction around the General Assembly, where each member state was guaranteed one vote, irrespective of that state's strength and power, the economic and political power, and on the other hand, <clears throat> the United Nations Security Council, which was based on the power political relationships that emerged out of World War II and which locked in the power balance that emerged after that war. And if you read the UN Charter today, which is a very interesting exercise to do, if you read the UN Charter today, you'll see a permanent, very strong tension in the UN Charter between those two, between those two realities, between the egalitarian intentions of the United Nations as a universal system among equal member states, and also it's, you know, the way in which the Charter stresses and strives for social and economic justice. And on the other hand, you know, the Charter which enshrines the power political relationships of the, of the situation in 1945. It was neither fair nor egalitarian either in the sense that the international institutions which emerged out of the UN system, the IMF, the Bank for International Reconstruction and Development, which then became the World Bank, etc., created an international liberal economic order which was dominated exclusively by the West and, of course, by its core power, the United States. And if you, we all know this. If you look at the voting rights within the various institutions set up by the Bretton Woods Agreements, uh, all of these institutions are either purely American-dominated institutions or Western, more broadly, Western institutions. In the most more recent period of time, over the past 20 years, the IMF, the World Bank, have become, <clears throat> became uh, disciplinary instruments of Western and American power. They helped to establish post-war Western hegemony. They set the rules, the norms, the behavior patterns 
which then became the uh, dominant, dominant international, in, international rules and regulations under the neoliberal regime which emerged in the 70s and in the 80s. In the 90s, global liberalization, global deregulation, emerged under the aegis of a quasi-global state apparatus, which these institutions formed, along with the major Western powers and the United States in particular. These institutions helped to forge the ideological hegemony, the ideological hegemony of the neoliberal consensus which emerged at that time. I'm referring to the Washington consensus, of course, and the way in which <coughs> the West, the United States, foremost within the West, imposed, not only promoted, but imposed certain disciplines on the, what we call the emerging countries, and which would be better called, still called, the third world countries. In other words, these institutions were used as instruments of power which caged in the third worlds. These institutions were used also as instruments in more, in more subtle ways some, <clears throat> somehow to discipline non-neoliberal models, in particular the European welfare state and the Asian developmental state, both of which were weakened considerably over the course of the past 15, 20 years. In other words, these institutions, far from being universal, egalitarian institutions, actually served to expand Western power and to create a hegemonic order under American dominance. Having said that, having recognized that some of the you know, structural features of those, that institutional reality, I think we have to acknowledge that the multilateral institutional system is, is nonetheless an extremely precious and important instrument in our hands if we choose to use it correctly. In other words, if we can create the balance of power both in interstate relations, but also the balance of power within our societies, which will allow us to transform these institutions and to truly democratize them. I don't have to go into, because other speakers will, the extreme damage the, the militarist clique in the Bush administration has done to the international institutional system. Bush has done us a favor in one sense, in that he has revealed to us the importance of these instruments despite the way in which they were used over the past, over the past 30 years. The Bush administration's drive for empire <coughs> and absolute hegemony, the Bush administration's drive for unlimited global American sovereignty has highlighted the need for us and for, for, for the social movements more, more generally uh, to, begin, to begin creating a new vision of a transnational, international, transnational legal order which would be different from the one in which we live under today. I would suggest the following things, to be brief. An agenda for the left, as far as the UN and multilateral institutional system, has to, has to include both descriptive and normative aspects. First of all, we cannot simply ask for, demand, or hope for a return to the status quo ante. In other words, assuming the Bush administration does, as Ian pointed out, they just come back on their knees to the UN and say, please, please do something for us. You know, clean up the, 
unbelievable mess that we've created in Iraq and in the Middle East. And please help us with humanitarian aid, finance, and eventually sending troops. Legitimize our totally legitimate action. If we merely go back to the status quo ante, which, which the French government would accept because it would maintain their power position at the UN Security Council, is to me an unacceptable, and an unacceptable solution. Uh, getting back to business as usual would merely mean, merely mean going back to the previous hegemonic system I was talking about. In any case, it probably wouldn't work. There's a revolt underway. There's a revolt underway in the third world. We saw it at Cancun, Brazil, India, China, and others are breaking with the dominant paradigm as far as international trade is concerned. And at the UN itself, there's a demand for a major transformation at the UN. I would say our normative aims should be the following. I'm saying this as a suggestion, obviously. First, we need a new international legal order, a new transnational legal order rather than international, a new transnational legal order, which minimally restrains the power of dominant states by locking them truly into binding rules and regulations. Secondly, a regime tending towards transnationality rather than internationality, which promotes social and economic justice between states and within states. In other words, as a minimal requirement, we have to go back to the United Nations Charter, to the egalitarian aspect of the United Nations Charter, both as far as collective security is concerned and as far as economic and social development are concerned. Read the UN Charter, the chapters in economic and social development, and we are way, way, way behind today the reality of, of, of what the UN Charter actually says. Another minimal requirement, therefore, is to democratize the United Nations Security Council, which is the most inegalitarian core of the United Nations system. That means introducing new members, new permanent members on the Security Council,